This time on Pole Hub, Pundit Palooza. We're turning over the podcast to some of the biggest names in political journalism to find out what they think will happen on Election Day. Will Democrats win back the House? The Senate? Will it be a blue wave, a red wave, or a purple ripple? We have questions, they have answers. So let's get started. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Merigoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. Okay, and joining us to get things rolling, Chuck Todd, NBC News Political Director, Moderator of Meet the Press, host of NTP Daily, and of course, most significantly, Honorary Degree Holder at Marist College. I believe I'm a... that. It means I'm a doctor of humanities, right? You made me, you got, you gave me my first fake doctor title, right? Okay, so Dr. Chuck Todd, you've been to this dance before. (laughs) What are your overall expectations going into the mids? I would say this, it's, I think we're looking at uh, unprecedented turnout, which means we're going to have, I think, less predictable results. I think our, I think the trend lines are pointing in, in a direction that seems that seems to indicate we're headed for some sort of split decision uh, on election night. But it, but what? How do you interpret that split decision? You know, if it's 25 House seats for the Democrats and two Senate seats for Republicans, that's not a wave. But if it's 45 House seats for Democrats and and one seat for Republican in the Senate, I, or even a net zero, yeah, that's that looks more like a wave. And especially if you look at the governor's races and some other stuff. So, what? But the more the thing that I think that I'm still sort of. Um, struggling with, and I say this in, in an optimistic way because I, I enjoy not knowing what's going to happen on Election Day, is this turnout. I mean, we are going to probably have more than 100 million voters. Um, we've never had 100 million voters in a midterm. It could be the highest by, by percentage of voting age population, the highest turnout um, we've had since women got the right to vote. And my point is, is when you have significantly high turnout, um, while you're, it'll the trends will be correct going into Election Day, but weird stuff will still happen. Okay, so it's Tuesday night. Uh, what are the top three either House or Senate races you'd like to know the results of now, which would give you a good indication of what the night's going to look like? I'll tell you this. I'll give you two states. And I, I, if you just gave me the results in two states, um, I'd know what happened. I'd want the, four, the state of Virginia House races that are in play. There's four of them in the state of Virginia. It's an early poll closing, and I think it's going to tell us everything. There's a little something for everybody. There's one district, Virginia's 10th, that is smack in the battleground all the time. Dem-leaning seat, you know, one could argue in a generic year it should go Democratic. It has a pure swing seat in Virginia Beach. That's the second congressional district. That is a seat that is up for grabs in any congressional cycle. But then you have Virginia 7, which is outside of Richmond. That's the Dave Bratt seat, formerly Eric Cantor's seat. That's a lean Republican seat that in a, in a good Democratic year can be competitive. And then you have Virginia 5th District, which uh, features a, uh, it's an open seat, features a Democratic candidate who's, the, uh, who's got a familiar name to longtime progressives. Her name's uh, uh, Leslie Coburn. Her husband, Alexander Coburn, longtime columnist at The Nation back in the day. Um, that's a seat that Democrats only win in a wave here. So my point is, is it sort of four different styles of districts that are in the battleground that Republicans hold. If Democrats win two, I think it's going to be an interesting night, not a wave. If Democrats win three of those four, it's a wave. We just don't know how big. And if they win all four, it's a tsunami. And that's a, that, that is one of those where I, you just gave me those, that state's result. And then on Senate, give me Missouri Senate. You yeah. tell me who. I, I put it this way. 
Democrats are not going to have the Senate if somehow they lose Missouri. So that's why I feel like Missouri Senate more than any of the other ones, and, and especially the, the margin as well, but Missouri Senate uh, would be the only other race I'd want. Okay, rubber meets the road. Do you have any body counts in terms of what the Senate and House numbers look like for the Marist sweatshirt award for the closest? <laughs> no, I'm not playing that game, but here's what I'll tell you. Um, I put it, there's some different magic numbers here. I set my, I have the over, if this were, I'm a, I'm a, now that gambling's legal, I can say, I can admit this proudly. I'm a degenerate gambler. I'll admit that. I enjoy gambling on sports, uh, particularly football. Uh, in football, we have over-unders, you know, on mm -hmm. total points a lot of times in mm -hmm. football games. So in the house, I have an over-under line. If I were taking bets, I'd set it at 35. And I've been asking other people, do you take the over the under on that? And what's been interesting is that about a week ago, most of the smart people I was asking that question to took the under. And this week, most people are taking the over. So I think that tells you where at least the sentiment and the directional, uh, the direction it looks like the House is going. In the Senate, I, I give you a, a magic number of this. It's 54. If Republicans end up with 54 or more Senate seats uh, after Tuesday night, They'll have locked in their majority for four years, not just two years, because of the, the battleground in 2020. Democrats realistically have four flips and a tough one to hold in Doug Jones in Alabama. But there's four Republican incumbents that, they, that, that are, will be competitive, North Carolina on the map, Iowa, Colorado, and Maine. Uh, I can tell you that right now. So Republic, Democrats have to limit their Senate losses to two or less if they want to keep the Senate in play for 2020. So that is a a separate magic number that I would just advise people to watch on election night. Now we'd like to turn to Amy Walter, national editor of the Cook Political Report. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. So as the votes are coming in on election night, what are we going to be talking about? Hopefully, the, not only will the votes be coming in, but the votes will be coming in in a timely fashion and be counted in a timely fashion, which I know is asking too much. But <laughs> um, here is what could be really um, fascinating to watch, right? Florida and Indiana. These are two Senate battlegrounds. Um, they could go in two different directions. They could go in the same direction. If they go in two different directions where, let's say, Democrats hold on to the race in Florida, a state that the president carried narrowly in 2016, but Republicans knock off Joe Donnelly in Indiana um, in a state that Trump carried big in 2016, then it says to us that yeah, it's, it looks like the Senate is going to be moving in a different direction than the House, especially if at the same time what I'm watching for on the House side is what's happening in those congressional districts in Florida. We got a lot there, including a number that have popped up in the last couple of weeks, open seats that have become uh, much more worrisome for Republicans. These are Republican held open seats. I'm also looking at battleground suburban House districts because, again, this is where the battle for the House goes through the suburbs, Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, and, um, and New Jersey. Can tell us a little bit about that? We wake up Wednesday morning. It's now November 7th. And what? We didn't go to sleep. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so that was. I really guess clear. that was rather presumptuous on my part. It really was. I mean, really. But you know, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about sleeping for so long. <laughs> but Isn't uh, that gonna for, feel so nice? for those, for those that will be getting some shut eye, what mm -hmm. will the what will the House and Senate look like on November seventh? Um, I think that it's 
likely that the Senate will continue to be in Republican hands, maybe with a slightly bigger margin, one, maybe two seats. Um, so you think the Republicans will gain seats? Right. And that the House will flip. And it's really just a question of how big that majority will be. Is it closer to 25 or is it closer to 35, 40? Here's the thing, Barbara, and this is this is what I'm grappling with right now. So in all the time that I've been with the Cook Political Report, the, the following um, thing has happened, which is the races that we rate as toss-up, the ones that are too close to call going into the election, they never break 50-50. They don't break um, proportionally. They tend to break overwhelmingly for the side that has that momentum, the side that ends up winning, um, usually 60-40, sometimes 70-30. If that's the case, um, then if that if that holds true this year, then Democrats will pick up close to 40 seats in the House. And best case scenario is that uh, Democrats lose just one seat in the Senate, or maybe it's just stay, or it stays, excuse me, 51, 49, which is there's no change. Republicans still in charge, but they don't make any gains. So that, that is a scenario if you went with the quote unquote traditional model. What, what um, concerns me about counting on that traditional model is the following. The first is in a normal midterm year, um, one, the, the, the party that's in the White House is usually less motivated to vote than the party out of the White House. We saw this in 2006, 2010, 2014. You know, what What gave the, the party out of the White House their significant gains in those years was due in part to the fact that the other side didn't turn out, right? So a lot of folks stayed home who would normally, in a presidential year, vote for a Republican or vote for a Democrat, and that gave the out party opportunities to pick up seats that quite frankly they wouldn't win in a presidential or normal turnout election this year we know that at least what we're seeing in polling is that republicans are more motivated or as motivated to vote as they were in 2010 which was a year when turnout was um great for republicans they're significantly more motivated than they were in 2006 when they lost seats. Now, Democrats are more motivated, at least according to the Pew polls, than they've ever been, <laughs> than we've ever seen. So I that's um, going to be very important. And how that enthusiasm is distributed, right? Getting a whole bunch of really excited Republicans in North Dakota is fine. That gets you one Senate seat. But if you're not getting that equal distribution and places like Florida, if you're not getting it, uh, Republicans fired up to come out and vote uh, in places that are, you know, suburban swing districts, well, that's not going to help you that much on the, on the House. So let's turn to Ron Brownstein, CNN senior political analyst and also at the Atlantic Media. He's the editorial director for Strategic Partnerships. This is a guy who's been helping us kind of look at our own polls for a couple of years now in different ways. Ron, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you a couple questions sure. about the forthcoming election. And we're kind of looking at predictions. I don't want to put you out on a limb here, but, um, you know, it's interesting. This is a midterm kind of like one we've never seen before. What are your overall expectations for what's going to happen on election night? 
You know, I, there's one prediction I'm pretty confident in, which is that the divisions and the crevices that we see in the country that were intensified in 2016 uh, are going to be reconfirmed and probably deepened. Uh, you know, the odds are better than not that Democrats win the House uh, and Republicans hold the Senate, but whichever side ultimately ends up with the majority, I think what we are clearly going to see is Metro America, diverse, white collar, information age, Metro America, really all across the country, not only along the coasts, uh, but potentially even in Atlanta and Houston uh, and Dallas, certainly Kansas City. Um, we are going to see, I think, significant movement toward the Democrats. I think it's gonna be very hard for a lot of these Republicans who have held on on a lot of these suburban areas uh, that have been voting more Democratic at the presidential level. Um, but now I think, uh, many of those who have held on, whether it's the suburbs of Philly or New Jersey, uh, Chicago, Denver, Minneapolis, as I said, Kansas City, Tucson, Orange County, a bunch of those seats are going to go Democratic. Uh, on the other hand, um, uh, I think it is likely we are going to see much less movement away from the Republican dominance outside of Metro America in small town and exurban America. I think there will be some dents in the fortress. Uh, and they will lose some seats there. And, and to some extent, how many seats they lose there will determine how big this gets uh, for Democrats. But by and large, I think they're going to come out of this still in a very strong position and, and potentially, of course, in the Senate, even expanding their position in these older, whiter, Christian, rural states across uh, the, the heavily Christian states uh, across the heartland. And so I, I think the, the clearest thing that's going to come out of this election of the morning after is this very stark picture of a country that is really divided between what America is becoming and what it has been. Uh, and each of them uh, essentially aligning more than ever before with one party. What are the top three races that that are kind of canaries in the coal mine? If you knew what they were right now, you could, you could con confidently say, here's what's going to happen on election night. Wow, that is a great question. Um, uh, first of all, in the Senate, uh, you know, you, you'd have to kind of pair one of the Rust Belt uh, states with one of the Sun Belt states to see how far this goes. So, dude, I, I, I would I would not be surprised if Democrats won Nevada. I think in a close race, they have shown they they can win Nevada. So I would pick Arizona as the state that would measure the upside for Democrats uh, in this in this election. I think it's achievable, more achievable than Texas, but less, you know, less easy than Nevada. So in some ways it's the on the Senate side. And then conversely, I would probably pick Joe Donnelly uh, in the Rust Belt to see how bad it's going to go. I mean, one of the most promising uh, uh, trends for the Democrats in this election is that they have stabilized their position uh, clearly in the states that tip the election to Trump across the industrial Midwest. I mean, you have Democratic incumbents who have, you know, who are almost certainly going to win in Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania in the Senate. The Democrats have a strong chance at the governorships in all of those states as well as Iowa. But Indiana is tougher. And I think if Joe Donnelly holds on, uh, this has the potential to be a, a and conversely, if Kirsten Sinema wins in Arizona, uh, Democrats have the opportunity to really hold down their losses uh, in the Senate. I, look, in the House, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great question. So let me think here for a minute and give you, give you a, a thoughtful answer. I suppose Pennsylvania one would be one that I would be looking at where you have, you know, not the open seats in, in, in um, the Philadelphia suburbs, but one against a moderate 
you know, plausible incumbent who has been endorsed by the AFL, Brian Fitzpatrick, and, and, uh, and some gun control groups. If the Republicans also lose that, uh, and maybe Tom MacArthur in, uh, in New Jersey is another one. If they also lose that, it's probably going to get, you know, a little bigger. Uh, you know, one step further out would be Dave Bratt in Virginia and the open seat outside Charlotte, uh, where uh, Dan McCready is the Democrat. I think if either of those fall, uh, that's where it kind, kind of gets bigger. So I would, I would go to this. And, and, and look, in terms of kind of the long-term trajectory of the parties, you can't beat the Florida and Georgia governor's race where you have kind of a, you know, a test of the theory uh, popular on the left that the key for Democrats to recovering against Trump uh, is not so much to reassure Republican-leaning white centrists who are disenchanted with Trump, but it is to mobilize the portions of the electorate that are most uh, hostile to him, young people and minorities. Uh, and on the other side, you've, so that's, you know, you've got Andrew Gillum in, uh, in Florida and Stacey Abrams in Georgia who reflect that. And then on the other side, you've got total Trump acolytes in Ron DeSantis and Brian Kemp. So I think those will be very revealing too about the direction of the party. But in terms of, uh, you know, where it goes uh, on election, I think the other ones are probably uh, kind of the boundaries. I'd like to bring in another one of our polling partners, Domenico Montanaro, NPR's lead editor for politics and digital audience. Thanks so much, Domenico, for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'd uh, like to, I'd, Tuesday night is going to be a big night for all things politics. And uh, when we're kind of looking at how things are going to play out, um, who do you think is going to have a bigger night, the Democrats or the Republicans? You know, I mean, a lot of people are pointing to the possibility of a split decision now with uh, Democrats having the likelihood of taking back the House and Republicans, you know, either holding serve or picking up some seats in the Senate, which, by the way, has been what was likely to happen you know, for like a year and a half. So, you know, I think that makes some sense. Um, you know, I, I do think, though, for Democrats being plus one, in the house is the key they need to net 23 seats to take back the house and anything 23 or above is they will consider a giant victory no matter what happens in the senate and where are you putting your money you know i think when you look at the house landscape i did a whole list of looking at how broad the field is i was shocked and stunned to see just how many Republican-held seats are in play versus Democratic seats. So, for example, there's 79 or 80 Republican-held seats that Democrats are competing in right now, and only eight, eight Democratic-held seats, and really only two or three of those is likely to go uh, to the Republicans. So, you know, there's a lot of room for error for Democrats to be able to take back those those uh, uh, those seats and a House majority. Uh, the one caveat is that the seats are all very, very close. You know, even the ones that are most likely takeovers, the polling in those races right now are very, very tight. And when I talk to the strategists at both committees, you know, they um, I, I think that when you talk to the strategists at both committees, that they th that they both lean toward giving it to Democrats for sure. Democrats are pretty confident they're going to take back the House, and Republicans are hoping that they have a narrow path to hold it. So looking at your crystal ball, what do you see as the narrative that we will be talking about as we come out of election night? Well, I think that you're, you know, if there is this split 
um, you know, in the Senate and the and the House. Certainly, President Trump is going to try to say that there was a red wave in the Senate if Republicans are able to pick up a couple of seats. And of course, Democrats are going to say, no, 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 there was a blue wave. There was no red wave. And Democrats took back the House. And either way, that puts uh, that gums up Trump's um, Trump's legislative agenda. And I think that that does supersede anything. If Democrats are able to take back the House, that completely changes how things operate here in Washington because uh, Republicans will not be able to just get through whatever they want anymore. If they want to get something substantive done, they're going to have to work with Democrats. You know, they can, you know, otherwise they're going to have a real uphill battle in trying to get anything done or nothing will get done at all. So I think that all of everything is going to start to look at uh, what's happening there in the House. So I'd like to put you on the spot. Can you give me some numbers for the House? What what uh, what would you what would you be betting on? And uh, also for the Senate? Yeah, well, when you look at the handicappers right now, you know, I think Cook just moved up their uh, their uh, their estimate from 20 to 25 seats or 20 to 30 seats to something like 30 to 35 seats, which is a much bigger wave, um, certainly would give Democrats the, the House, meaning that Democrats are likely to take back the House in that way. And when you look at all of the numbers, you know, from our polling with the generic ballot, the likely voter model uh, that you guys did for the first time, uh, you know, in this election, moving that generic ballot from six to nine points, that certainly points to Democrats taking back the House. So if you had to bet, that's something you would bet on. But, you know, it really does depend on, you know, whether these people who say that they're going to go and vote actually go and do so. So let's turn to Susan Page. She is the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today. has been covering politics for quite some time. Susan, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you. So big midterm coming up, maybe the biggest uh, ever in, in our lifetimes. Uh, certainly the early vote and the uh, and the enthusiasm seems to indicate this is going to be a midterm like no other. So we want to get some ideas of expectations from people who follow these things. What do you think the storyline is going to be Wednesday morning when we all wake up or maybe don't wake up because we've been up all night uh, as to these uh, these midterms? You know, I think that the story is going to be centered on what the story has been centered on for more than two years, and that is Donald Trump. What impact did Donald Trump have? Uh, what did, do, the, do the results of the midterms have for his presidency and for his reelection? Uh, he's really been at the center of our politics, and he has made himself the center of the midterms, even though he's not on the ballot himself. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, the, the midterms, usually the president wants to kind of run away from it because of what happens. And in this case, he's putting himself front and center. What do you think or what are you looking at as the top three races that you, if you could see them now, would be able to say, I know it's going to happen? The top three races, uh, you know, there are, there are any number of races you could choose. Let me start with one in my home state, uh, which is Kansas. And, you know, Kansas is not a state where we usually pay any attention in elections because it's so reliably Republican. But there is a competitive gubernatorial contest there, uh, which is unexpected. Two of the House seats are in competitive races. So I might look at the Kansas governor's race as one of those three, because if Democrats do well in Kansas, they're going to be having a very good night. You know, a second uh, race I would look at, I guess, would be uh, Florida, um, because Florida is so important in our national politics and because it also has a couple important races. It has an important 
Senate race and a gubernatorial race. I might look at the governor's race there. Uh, that would be an historic race if, if Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, wins. Uh, African-American man beating someone, uh, a Republican candidate, um, who is Mr. DeSantis, who is very Trump-like. That, that would be a crucial contest. And then maybe we should go to a different part of the country. Let me, let me stick with governors, because I do think governors are an undercovered story in this midterm. We've paid a lot of attention to the House and Senate. Uh, in some ways, the governor's elections are also going to have big consequences for the country. So we go maybe to one of the governor's races in the Rust Belt in those states that went for Donald Trump uh, unexpectedly, uh, states that now have Republican governors, but we see very competitive contests there. Maybe Scott Walker in, in Wisconsin. He's been a real survivor. He himself ran for president, you may remember, although not for a very long time. Uh, if he is defeated in Wisconsin, that is a sign that that region that was so important in 2016, there just may be some hope there for Democrats. All right, so I'll put you on the spot. What's your guess on the House? And what happens in the Senate? Number on the House, and does the Senate <laughs> flip, or is it staying Republican? Well, uh, I think it is uh, difficult and dangerous to uh, to make predictions like that, especially with numbers. Uh, I would say if the election were today, Democrats uh, likely would carry the House, uh, and probably with a not uh, not flip just twenty three seats, but more than that. Um, flip 30 or 40 seats, but of course the election is not today. Uh, and in the Senate, uh, that is uh, you know, a very difficult map for Democrats. I think the safe bet is that Republicans hold the Senate. Uh, but you know, our politics have been so, both so volatile and also um, so given to quick changes. You know, our, our news cycle is now so fast. News travels so fast. We've had, we had in, in October, we had five or six October surprises that I think it is uh, probably smart not to get yourself pinned down too tightly on predictions. Yeah, we're going to need to coin November surprises at the rate <laughs> we're going, maybe one a day until Election Day. And now we're joined by Steve Shepard, editor and reporter for Politico. How are you doing today, Steve? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Uh, we first connected with you when you were editor-in-chief at the National Journal's Hotline. So you've covered a number of these uh, dramatic midterm elections. What, do you, what are you expecting on uh, election night, on Tuesday? Well, I, I think that... Uh you know, we're we're here at Politico. We're going to be most closely watching uh, the battle for the House of Representatives. Uh, that has been from the beginning of this cycle. Uh, the the chamber that that's had the most interest. It it's the um, one that we think is most in play uh, as far as the, the prospect that it could flip parties. Uh, it's also most reflective, I think, of the realignment that we've seen in American politics. Uh, particularly in the Trump era, but but it does go back farther than that. And, and I know you guys have talked with Ron Brownstein before, um, and you mentioned my time at Hotline where I, I uh, had an office next to his, so I'm sort of influenced by his thinking. But when you look at a number of these districts that are on the, the, the uh, prime target list on Tuesday night, we're talking about all these suburban seats that Republicans have held very easily for a long time that are now under threat because a lot of the Republican-leaning voters there, uh, most of them, they're white and college-educated, uh, have been repelled uh, by President Trump. And so those that realignment is really, I think, going to be on display. Uh, is it enough for Democrats to wrest control of the House? 
And if so, by what kind of margin? I think that all remains to be seen. But that's one of the reasons why I'm going to be focusing on a number of those suburban, highly uh, more educated uh, uh, suburban uh, uh, Republican-held congressional districts that Democrats are targeting this year. Are there a couple that you're specifically looking at that you could share with our uh, listeners that they may want to uh, pay attention to early in the evening? Sure. Uh, right here in our backyard is is the 10th district in Virginia. Obviously, I'm in I'm in Arlington. It's it takes it's about a six or seven mile drive to the border of the 10th district where Barbara Comstock, the uh, incumbent Republican, is trailing. Uh, according to the polls in her re-election bid against State Senator Jennifer Wexton, the Democratic nominee. Um, the better test and the one that I'll probably be watching most closely, assuming Virginia 10 goes to form, uh, Virginia, the polls close at, at 7 o'clock, so it's a nice early poll closing for us here on the East Coast, um, is probably Virginia 7. That's uh, incumbent Republican Dave Bratt running against a former CIA agent, Nabigail Spanberger, uh, someone who has an interesting profile for a suburban district outside Richmond, You'll recall Dave Bratt is uh, the Republican who unseated then uh, House Majority Leader Eric Cantor in a 2014 primary. Uh, he was a member of the Freedom Caucus, a more conservative Republican, a form of, of, of Republicanism and conservatism that has fallen out of fashion among some more educated suburban Republicans in the Trump era. And that's one of the reasons why Dave Bratt is Essentially, uh, the polls show that race very close with, with he and Abigail Spanberger. That is one. Those two Virginia races close early in the night here and I think are going to be a good tell uh, for the rest of these suburban districts, whether they're outside Kansas City or outside Denver or outside the Twin Cities in Minnesota, uh, how those might go the rest of the night and if Democrats are poised to, to sweep them. Uh, that'll be tested in Virginia 7 and Virginia 10 early in the night on Tuesday. So we, you've now written your wrap-up for election night, and uh, I'm, I'm going to your article on Wednesday morning. What am I reading? Probably a couple of different things. Um, I am going to be watching very closely. Uh, I'm going to be looking very closely at the exit polls, and I, I know you all have talked uh, on your program about the fact we're going to have two quote-unquote exit polls. One, the the uh, Edison Research exit poll that's being conducted for most of the networks. Uh, I know you've talked to Joe Lenski about that. Um, that is the more traditional exit poll. He's has people interviewing outside polling places all over the country. He's had people interviewing outside early voting centers in Tennessee and Nevada the past couple of weeks. Um, he'll be doing phone calls. Uh, and then the AP Fox uh, Vocaster Project that they're doing, um, which is not a traditional exit poll, but is looking to serve that function, interviewing voters. I'm going to be looking at a couple of things there uh, in that data. I'm really interested in uh, how the vote breaks down uh, by Trump approval. And I'm also going to be looking at intensity. So we have a pretty good idea, and, and your polls show this, that you know roughly 4 in 10 voters strongly disapprove of the job President Trump is doing. It's a pretty good bet that almost all of them are going to vote for Democratic candidates. We know that closer to 3 in 10 may strongly approve of the job that President Trump is doing. We know most of them are going to vote for Republican candidates. What about those in the middle? What about the somewhat approves and the somewhat disapproves? Do, are, do some of those somewhat approves who are maybe 
like some of Trump's policies, but are a little uncomfortable with his style and especially the, the sharp turn to the right in the closing days of this campaign on, on immigration and cultural issues. Do some of them maybe choose to vote for a Democratic check and balance in their congressional district or in their state Senate race or, or even for governor? Uh, or do they eventually, do they join up with Republicans? Does, does the last minute pitch work? Um, I think the data are going to tell a very interesting story on election night. And that's just, I don't want to spoil the story I'm going to write and have all my competitors, including some of whom you're probably talking to, steal my ideas. But I guess I just did. And uh, that's what I'm going to be looking at uh, on election night. And that's probably what you'll see uh, if you go to politico.com Wednesday morning. I'll still be awake, but uh, please come. And we want to thank our expert guests for taking time out of their very busy schedule as we get countdown to midterm elections. Yeah, and getting them all on the record. We're going to find out uh, for sure uh, what happens in just a couple days. I'm a little surprised they agreed because, you know, we've, we've got their words. And yeah, that's interesting. We haven't put our predictions into this. Have you noticed? We, we haven't. So why don't we do that? Uh-oh. What, what, Uh-oh. What's your predict? So, so we'll go around uh, the table here. Lee, uh, we'll just do one of our questions which is, what do you, what's, what's the narrative, what's the storyline Wednesday morning after Election Day? Huge turnout, record gender gap, Democrats take the House, Republicans hold the Senate, but it's very close, and there's one or two shocking upsets. Maybe Texas? I don't know. Well. Ooh, Fire. wow, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, what, a, what, what a tease. Well, I, I agree. You know, what I'm, what I'm really struggling with here is um, in the past, you know, as Amy Walter pointed out, in the past we've seen all of these races connected nationally. And so from when we look at the national numbers, we see a, a strong, you know, Democratic advantage going into Tuesday. But I thought her insights about the fact that this may not be, you know, what, how we remember things, um, and it may be a little bit different in terms of I those want, states that are, yeah, that are red if, are states. Are you actually going to get to your predictions here? <laughs> yeah. I, I just get the feeling... I get the feeling you're trying to filibuster this one. Just, uh, just a little, just a little bit. So, I, so I think that um, the, the Democrats will will take the House, but I agree with Lee in the sense that we may see some surprises, but the surprises actually may be on the Republican side, and some of those red states just staying red in the Senate. In the Senate. Okay, and here's my prediction: Donald Trump will still be on the front page, and will be tweeting, and will be the main story the day after the election, all the way to 2020. Regardless regardless of what happens, whether the Democrats win or lose, even if they win the Senate, they won't be the main story. Donald Trump will continue to be the main and only story that the media and all the rest of us seem to focus on nonstop. Okay, but, but we, we, do, we do numbers here. So so the House is going to be Democratic. Um, I, I think that the Senate, we might find a surprise in the Senate, uh, more than one surprise based on the turnout. Because uh, the and turnout the is vote. And yeah, the, early, the vote. early vote and the turnout is unprecedented, and uh, so I think that the Senate could be the surprise. I don't think the House will be a surprise. And governorships, I think there's a bunch of of uh, governorships that are going to switch, uh, and Democrats will have a lot more a Demo- uh, lot more governors houses, state houses. That's what they're called. 
governor's mansions than they do now. And that is in a bigger, that's a bigger long-term story than either the House of the Senate. And the polls will either be wrong or we won't hear anything about it because we never hear the other side. But we'll be back talking about them. So that will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Thank you, Mary Griffith, for putting together this terrific show, and our this was executive a tough producer. One. This Absolutely. Was a tough one. But apparently, nobody wanted to say no to Mary. <laughs> no. We're not surprised. Um, and we thank never, you. We never do. And then uh, thank you also to Kenny Marples, our editor, and who had like, his work cut out for him. And we would like to thank time. the uh, archives at the Roper Center. Going to have our annual meeting up very soon and our, our award dinner. Uh, they're from Cornell University, and they provide us with the ability to look back in time. I wish they could look ahead in time on this particular <laughs> show, uh, but they tell us about survey questions and results that occur over the decades. As always, send your questions. You can do that to pollhub at marist.edu.v. Email. You can reach out on social media. We're at Marist Poll on Twitter, Marist Poll on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe, and we will be back, and we're going to report on what happens in the election based on what all these predictions were, including our own. We are holding our feet and our guests' feet to the fire, and it's going to be fun. <laughs>